Have you ever been called bossy or aggressive? Oh, or all my life. Yeah. And once upon a time I worried about it. Now I'm like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And I guess it goes goes with your, you know, her own boss. Why yeah. not? Absolutely. Yeah. Why not? Hi everybody, my name is Lucy and I'm joined by Nikki, who is my uh, co-founder and we are kicking off with the first episode of our very special new series called Her and Boss Executive Series, where we are showcasing and spotlighting um, very Im impressive and inspirational executive women um, from a variety of different industries. So today we are so excited to be interviewing Jane Opperman, who is the Chief Operating Officer of Barclays UK. Jane has over 25 years experience in technology leadership within financial services and is responsible for managing a team across the globe, which I think speaks for itself, really. <laughs> Jane, thank you so much for joining us. We're so excited to have you on. Thank you so much for inviting me. Great to be here. Cool. Let's get into it then. Um, so Jane, I read a really interesting interview that you did with Barclays um, maybe a couple of years ago, um, and they asked you about um, diversity and inclusion within um, the technology space. And you said that you felt that the DNI dial hadn't really shifted much in the last 25 years. And I felt like that was really interesting because a lot of executives and senior people in quite a lot of industries nowadays um, boast and talk about how much the dial has shifted. For example, the cosmetics industry, you know, 10 years ago, you couldn't go into a makeup shop and find foundation that wasn't for white skin. And you look on a catwalk now and you're seeing men and women of all different shapes and sizes walk down and that's excellent. And we're creating yeah, space for, great. Mm, for everyone to flourish. But I, I agree with you in, on the tech side of things. I don't think it has. And when I did a little bit of research, I've got a stat here. I found that in the UK, 31% of tech jobs are held by women, but less than 10% of leadership roles in tech are held by women. And that's really, really low. Um, and I'd be really keen to hear about why you think the dial hasn't shifted that much and what we can do to shift it. Mm, it's such a great question. And I think... When I was at university a very long time ago, or the last century, as my kids refer to it as. Oh, no. <laughs> well, you were at university in the so last rude. century. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think there were 12 of us out of 88 or whatever it was um, in my first technology degree. Um, and I remember looking around the room at the time thinking, wow, you know, this you know, this will never be this bad ever again. You know, this is a, can only be up from here. Um, and yet to your stat, you know, we're not really addressed it in technology as much as maybe we are elsewhere. Mm. Um, I think there's lots of reasons for it. I, you know, I think it's anything from, it's still, we still don't get enough girls at school going into STEM projects and programs mm. of work and studying stem projects um subjects and i don't know why that is um you know i don't think they think it's exciting i don't think that we do a good job of explaining that you know given technology controls just about every aspect of our life why wouldn't you want an opportunity to influence on that kind of scale and why is it 
that girls and women don't feel confident to really take on the, the world. I think a lot of it is confidence and I think a lot of it is a misconception that technology is full of people who kind of just do programming in the cupboard or a dark corner mm. and it's you know so so different <laughs> my mm. experience you know it's taken me across the world it's one of the most transferable skills so despite the fact that I've spent most of my career in financial services if you understand technology you can pretty much work in any industry yeah. you know any geography um, and it's just such a way of having a degree of influence. Mm -hmm. And, you know, in my role now, having um, had a degree of success and been really fortunate, part of my job is to talk about these things and to pull as many people up with me as I can. Yeah, I completely agree. I think it's interesting you said, you know, getting women interested at a young age into, you know, jobs like tech is really important. When I was little, and I think something that's really underrated, is like the books that you read, and, or like the children's books you read, or the children's books yes. that you read, and mm -hmm. every single engineer, or, or tech wasn't, I guess, I something else, well. or like math, mathematics and things, it was all yes. male characters, and it wasn't even a thing for me when I was growing up, and I, it's really nice to see, you know, like the Mr. Men books, they're now having like Little Miss Engineer. And I think that that's going to make such a difference because you're sparking interest young mm -hmm. and you're also like, this is something that you can do. And I think it's so good yes. to see. So, I mean, hopefully the dial will be shifting <laughs> very soon. But no, I completely agree. Do you ever, I wonder, so that stat that Lucy said around less than 10% of leadership roles in tech being held by women in the UK. When you're kind of sat in a, a meeting room, whether it be virtual or in person, do you mm. ever take notice if you're the only woman in the room? And I ask that because I think for me being kind of earlier in my career, I think I do notice, but I don't know if that's like an aspect kind of, I guess if that's because of my inexperience. And so I kind of let that imposter syndrome kind of come in because I feel like, oh, I've not done this before. I'm feeling a bit nervous. Or if it's because I am visibly like the only woman in the room, I just, I wonder if you ever experienced that. You know, I probably experience it most weeks, if not most days. <laughs> and I don't know if that's reassuring time... you or not. <laughs> <laughs> well, over a period of time, you almost get numb to it. And, and I think you have to stay alive to it. Um, and you have to keep asking the question, particularly of those groups, you know, why is it? you know, look at the screen, it, some, in some respects, working virtually, you know, when everybody's sat on the screen in a little box, it's even more um, obvious, the lack of diversity, whether it's, you know, the same colour, the same gender, whatever it is. So I think we do need to keep noticing it, and we do need to be alive to it, we do need to keep calling it out, um, you know, despite the, the stats that we talked about in technology, you know, in the area of the bank in Barclays that I, I work in, we have shifted over the last three years. We've moved the percentage of directors and managing directors. We've increased that by 10%. But that's a, a real focus. And I think if you'd have asked me 10 years ago, you know, do you, should you have targets for, you know, these underrepresented groups, whether it's different ethnicities, sexual orientation, gender, I, I would have maybe once upon a time felt uncomfortable. You know, we use words like ambitions or, you know, we want to imagine a world where you don't, we don't even need these labels. But I think in the business world, we put targets on things that are important. 
mm. whether that's profit, you know, revenue, um, whether we're credit risk, cost. And I think by putting a target on it, we are signaling to the whole organization, this is important. Yeah. And, and I think it's making the difference. Mm. Mm, how does it make you feel usually being the only woman in the boardroom or only women in the calls? You know, like I look at you and I think like, or if I was you, it must be hard not to think like, I am amazing. Or like, I am pretty special. <laughs> I am the only woman. How am I? You know, like no other women made it. That must be quite a common thought, no? <laughs> and we do smile. think you're that's amazing. Great. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> I think I need to record that, just play it. You know, <laughs> and the occasions when I'm, uh, I need it. Um, there would have been a time when I just noticed it and it, uh, it probably put a lot of pressure on me or, you know, I let it put pressure on myself. Nowadays, um, you know, I tend to look around the room and think, well, I've got at least as much experience, quite often more. You know, I've worked hard to get here. And now sometimes the point of difference is an advantage. You know, mm. I, I'm not big on um, gender um, categories, you know, all women are this and all men are that, because we're all individuals. But I do think it's a difference um, that can be a positive thing. Um, so nowadays, I, you know, I do I worry about it. I, I actively spend a lot of my time recruiting fabulous women, helping promote our women through the ranks, make sure that we're giving them real opportunities for real jobs. Mm. You know, it's not just a numbers game. We need to look around at the most important jobs or the biggest scale jobs and make sure we're putting women in those roles as well. Yeah. And then, you know, at one point I'll look around the, the room and it'll look just like you know, any other room in the world or walking down the street. And that's what we've got to aim for. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, you said something, I can't remember if it was in this answer or the answer before around the kind of terminology we use around, you know, being ambitious. Um, and it reminded me of in one of my previous uh, kind of like uh, development catch ups, year end reviews, my manager gave me some feedback and said I was really assertive and I fully panicked and I was like oh my gosh I must be really unlikable people think I'm too much it wasn't until she explained that that was a good thing and that I'm, I'm confident <laughs> and I I say what I mean and I speak up and I thought oh my goodness like thank goodness because I thought that I was getting some really poor feedback there mm -hmm. um how do you think that the fact that there still are so many men in leadership positions changes the way we view good and bad leadership because my instinct was oh I'm that's bad I'm not doing well I'm not going to be a leader but actually it was no this is really good you're going to succeed so how you know how do you think that plays into everything mm. well as soon as you said that I almost said that's fantastic <laughs> yeah well, <laughs> what, what I didn't think that. <laughs> that that's amazing yeah. um but once upon a time I think we would have thought oh gosh do, you know do, do they mean I'm being too aggressive mm. yeah. um but this assertive is the right word to use. Um, you know, I hope, I'm not sure, but I hope the days of, you know, bossy, aggressive, you know, all those horrible terms they used to use about um, confident, assertive women have gone. I definitely think um, we're more accepting of you know, behaviours, 
being more about individuals and personal leadership styles and preferences as opposed to being associated with one gender or the other. Have you ever been called bossy or aggressive? Oh, or all my life. Yeah. And once one time I worried about it. Now I'm like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And I guess it goes goes with your, you know, her own boss. Why yeah. not? Absolutely. Yeah. Why not? Yeah. There was an amazing film years ago. Jane Campion did it. And it was about um, women being the boss. And it used some of these terms. If you haven't seen it, look it up. It's amazing. Oh, cool. Really good. That's cool. Yeah. I wonder, though, um, I personally think that if there are lots of men in leadership positions in an organisation or an industry, you are, junior people are constantly learning from them. And, you know, mentoring you'd like to get you know learn from senior people if you're constantly learning from men all the time it means that you are learning kind of what success looks like from um a man's perspective and i may be slightly controversial to think that mentoring sometimes can hinder culture change if you're constantly learning from that same person and that's yeah. why it's so important to have a diverse panel yes, i agree what are your thoughts on on mentoring in general do you think that there are have you had a good experience with mentoring? Have you had female mentors in your life? Yeah, male, female. And look, it's, it's, a, it's a term we use a lot. I think what's important is sponsors. <laughs> so you need mentors in your life to be on your agenda. That needs yeah. to be a confidential kind of relationship, a conversation where you really can get some honest feedback and some unbiased advice mm. where you know they're they're on your agenda trying to help you but if they really are committed to helping you then actually what you need is a sponsor somebody who's going to really get to know you give you some feedback help you identify the things you're really great at so that you can do more of them and then open doors for you Mm. So introduce you to different networks, you know, opening your network of, um, to your mentees, tapping them on the shoulder when a job comes up, giving them confidence to put their hands up, um, mm. speaking for them, you know, um, being an advocate mm. in uh, talent sessions, whatever it is. So I think mm. mentors are invaluable, mm. but sponsors are more valuable. Mm. Does and that do make sense? No, it does. It does. And there's quite a lot of conversation, particularly now around mentoring and sponsors and the importance of the two. Yeah. Do you believe in asking for people to be your sponsor or do you think absolutely. that naturally? Yeah. No, absolutely. Um, and look, most people, um, if you ask them for help, will help you. Mm. It's, it's strange when you when uh, when you're the one asking for help. It can feel, you know, you, your confidence can take a bit of a knock. But imagine, you know, you're the one being asked, can you help me? Actually, it's a great feeling when somebody says, I, I really, you know, could I just grab 20 minutes of your time? I've got a really important interview coming up or I've got a real problem I'm struggling with. Could you spare me a few minutes to help me? You know, in nearly 30 years, I don't think anybody has ever said no. Mm. so I really don't think people I don't think you should be worried and my advice would be ask for help ask for feedback um I've worked with some brilliant people um 
including, and I do think, you know, one of the things that I talk to a lot of my female mentees about is if I'm working so hard and, you know, I'm doing everything and more that I'm asked and nobody's noticed or Mm. I'm not getting promoted. Mm. And I think, you know, we're all busy. And if people haven't noticed, it's not because there's any bad intent, but you have to signal it. You can't wait for somebody to notice. Um, Mm. I will tell you this. If I advertise for a job, you know, internally, the folk that knock on my door and say, oh, hey, just let you know, um, I'm going to apply for that job. By the way, I would be awesome. Nine out of 10 of those people would be men. And I don't know why that is, you know, we've read Sheryl Sandberg's book, Lean In, whatever it is, we need to ask, we need to let people know that we're ambitious, we need to make sure that we're building the network and that people who have an influence on that next role we want, they need to know that we're hungry and that, you know, we want to put our hand up for that role and we think we've earned the right and we're well qualified and ready for it. Mm. That's as much a part of um, the whole kind of promotion and career progression piece. You can Mm. ask for help, but you need to own it and you need to kind of build your own story as you go. Yeah, I agree. That's why I think like having these discussions on podcasts and, you know, putting them out to like junior people and young Mm -hmm. women is so important because I think just recognizing that you don't do that is enough to combat it and like completely. Yeah. Because it it sounds very simple. Like, oh, there's a job you like go up to them and tell them that you're interested and that you'd be good at it. But it is so easy. Like it's even happened to me. You're like, oh, no, I'll just put my CV in. I don't want to bother them. But it's, it's not. But learning, you know, about what men do, it's almost enough. It, it annoys you enough to do it yourself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> very much like exactly. Yeah. 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 yeah, exactly right. But but what do you think? Because I, I agree. I think there's I can't remember what the exact stat is now, but about, you know, women look at a job advert and they need to hit everything yeah. before they're like, yeah, I'll apply. Whereas men can have whatever percentage of the requirements and think, yeah, I'll, I'll give it a go. I'll be all right. And I think there are people there's. to your point Jane there's like the Sheryl Sandberg's lean in saying women just need to lean in and do it this way because that's how you be successful but I think there's kind of a changing narrative as well that maybe women don't need to be the ones to lean in maybe it's the kind of organizations and the systems that Mm -hmm. need to be leaning into women and the way they work Mm -hmm. do you have any views on that Jane around you know who where does the responsibility lie for moving that dial Mm -hmm. Well, it it has to be both. Mm. Um, So I think, you know, the uh, example of Barclays, the organisation is setting targets, there are programmes of work to support women. You know, there's always more that we can do. But, But we also need to give and help women be confident and back themselves Mm. because otherwise they're going to feel like, um, you know, they've been put in roles that they're not comfortable with and we've got to somehow get over this confidence thing mm. um and i you're right in the stat you know I'll, I'll make it up but you know i think there's there is data to suggest that you know if there are 10 things on a job spec you know a male will look at it and go amazing i've got four i'm going to apply <laughs> i would be awesome and you know we feel we have to have eight nine ten before we're confident to put our hand up and having, having done a lot of hiring, um, I probably wish I'd known this years ago, but as a hiring manager, 
the perfect candidate never ever exists right there is and you you cram the job spec full of all these things that you'd love knowing full well that that perfect candidate doesn't exist um and actually now far more i look for attitude than i do for skills the the shelf life for skills is short shorter and shorter you know the whether it's digitization the pace of technology change you know you can hire a brilliant technologist today and their their skill sets are out of date in two years so unless they're yeah. able to continuously learn it's yeah. really what you're buying is that kind of cultural affiliation and an attitude mm. and that i have employed people um some of them have been wild cards where they've never done the job before but i've been so impressed by their energy and their attitude i just know that they'll make a positive difference Mm. um so you've got to go for it mm. yeah you're right I think the world is just moving at such a fast pace now no one's an expert in anything anymore <laughs> no to rely on it yeah, on yeah. Attitude. Great. um something that we were really keen to ask you about um was when were you first put in a leadership position and were you young or did that come later on in your career um to think back uh so i probably was mid late 20s minute mm. managing kind of a reasonably sized team as a consultant then mm. i didn't move into kind of a commercial industry full-time industry role mm. until i was just over 30 early 30s mm -hmm. um, but i was managing teams of consultants and i think um <laughs> I always remember when I moved from consulting into banking, thinking, okay, well, I've managed, I've managed teams, I've managed you know, global teams, I'm a people leader. And then, of course, you know, I quickly realized that in a consulting world, everybody's a graduate, um, everyone's pretty self-motivated. I hadn't really been managing them. They've been managing themselves to a large extent. I might have been scheduling some work, but I was really kidding myself. And then I landed in, uh, you know, one of the biggest banks in the UK, and I had people that were yeah, 20 years older than me that had been in the bank for 35 years that had come from, you know, all walks of life and all different industries. And it really tested me. All of a sudden, I had to learn to manage individuals because they were so different. Um, but I loved it. And I haven't looked back. Um, much more interesting than consulting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah sorry to any consultants listening to this. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> um, no, that's really interesting. And I'm glad you brought up the a bit about the kind of demographics or dynamics in your team. Because um, a question I had was, have you ever felt really out of your depth as a leader? I think, so for me and Lucy, we joined Barclays on the graduate yes. scheme. And, yeah. you know, I think when you're working on a graduate program, you're always kind of going to be the most junior person in the team anyway. So there's no, you know, you don't really think about being any more, being seen as more experienced than that. But then once you roll off and you get that promotion, all of a sudden you're not the most junior person in the team or not necessarily. And there's this dynamic of yeah. this person might be older than me or more experienced than me, but in terms of grade, I might be a bit higher than them. How do you handle that when yeah. you are actually their leader? Yeah, 
yeah, uh, that's a great question because I do still remember how I felt. And there is a bit of an imposter syndrome. Um, I, I think that you know, there are a few things as uh, leaders that we need to do. So you need to provide clarity on the vision. You need to make sure everybody's got clear objectives that they can link back. Um, and then you, you need to make the agenda on kind of a one-to-one -one or team basis much more about them than it is about you. Mm. And that will help you because um, if you're always focused on, oh my gosh, I feel out of my depth, I think I should know the answer to that, mm. uh, or I know I'm not feeling super confident. Um, one, hopefully you've got a great line manager that can help you along the way as well. But two, I think for most people, their time at work, the, the biggest influence over whether or not they love their job is their line manager. Mm. And it doesn't mean you have to be the expert or know their job better than them. But if they feel that you've got their back, that you're supporting them, that you're giving them the space to develop, um, you're giving them feedback, they will, they will perform much more than they would for a bad line manager. You'll, get, you'll build high performing teams of people who want to overperform because they value the fact that you're investing in them and you care about them. Mm. Um, mm. And that's a, that's a duty of care thing, but it will help you build your confidence. Mm. Um, I, could, I could spend a long time on that topic. I'd be happy to come back to it at any point if mm -hmm. you think that's valuable, but it will help you feel less out of your depth because all they want is to know that you care about them, the work that they do, and you can help them link what they're doing every day back to a bigger objective, strategy, mm. or mission. Mm. It reminds me of something. Does that make that, sense? Yeah, it does. It's really interesting. And I, I was going to say, it reminds me of something that I listened to in um, another podcast. It was from Stephen Barlett, Diary of the CEO, where he said that right. he thought the success of his business um, relied on him, but actually it was how he made his workers feel and how empowered he made them and that's that's what makes this that's a business successful not actually you as an individual so that's yeah it's back to that this really skills point we were saying as well that yes you can be an expert today but you might not be tomorrow but if you're still like empowering people mm. and your attitude's right then that will carry through mm. there's a really lovely quote by Maya Angelou and I won't get it precisely right but it's you know I've learned that people will forget what you did, they'll forget what you said, but they'll never forget how you made them feel. And I think that a line manager can have a real impact on the way people feel when they turn up to work. You know, how comfortable do they feel bringing their whole selves? You know, there's such an impact that, that we can have as leaders. Mm. Yes, amazing. I have one more question before um we kind of conclude and obviously Nikki show if you do as well um slightly more controversial for the you don't have to answer if you don't want to but I would love to know <laughs> you're like a superwoman to me what's the biggest mistake you've made as a leader or the most common mistake you see leaders making that's a diplomatic way to put it Lucy <laughs> I'd, I'd maybe call out a couple of things and I definitely made these mistakes but I do think they're more common than just me mm. I think um, 
we touched on one before. So thinking that you have to have all the answers or thinking that you have to be the expert. Mm. Um, and the other one is actually doing <laughs> more talking than you should. And I think as you become more senior, you need to do more listening mm. and really actively listen. Um, because you, as the more senior you get, the further you get from the end customer. And there's a danger that you're surrounded by people who tell you what they think you want to hear, as yeah. opposed to yeah. what's really going wrong. Yeah. So I think you need to develop some really good questions and then you need to listen really carefully to the answers. So I think you know, as, become, as you become more confident, that becomes easier. But I think I've definitely made the mistake from you know, feeling like I was an imposter, you know, desperately trying to know all the answers or feeling that you know, I had to speak up and give my opinion as the leader. Whereas now I would say it's flipped and I know that if if I give my view too early, I influence the group and also I dampen the diversity of input. So I try and speak last. Mm. Um, and it took me a while to get to that point. So I definitely made a whole load of mistakes before learning some of the things that I do today. Mm -hmm. um, I also think it can be difficult going back to, you know, if you find your a different in a sea of other people it might be male female extroverts introverts there are some tricks and tips to make sure that when you're in a meeting you're contributing and your voice is heard because the worst thing you want to do is pitch up to a meeting you know not say anything because you're invisible so if you're at a meeting you know do do your preparation um write the minutes of the meeting before it even happens that was a tip that somebody gave me um, and it might not be on every agenda item but if you've got you know one two or three that are really important and you write down the outcome that you think is going to be most helpful that can help shape your point and keep it kind of crystal if you find that you know you're in a bunch you're with a bunch of extroverts and there's literally no room for you to interject nobody's drawing for breath and it's hard for you to make your point then sometimes summarizing and playing back at the end of a conversation and that mm. particularly if you haven't got a strong point you know that sometimes that can help because quite often what people say and what others hear are different mm. yeah so sometimes can I can I just summarize what I what I think I've heard you say so that we're all on the same page here is effective mm. um sometimes it's particularly when there's something contentious or you know something that you don't agree with that's the best time to make a point because you you can say oh I don't think um I don't think I agree with that that will that will make everybody go <gasps> you know and stop <laughs> then you can say well if I clarify I'd like to split it into two when you said this, you know, that resonates. But when you said this, you know, I'm not sure I agree. Or can you unpack that? Mm. When you say you disagree or you don't like it, help me understand why. Mm. So there are some uh, ways that I think you can ensure that you make a contribution to a meeting rather than thinking, oh, my God, I can't get a word in here. Mm. 
I wish I learned that when I was on the grad scheme. So many times <laughs> I was like, I would love to talk right now. <laughs> I just, uh, oh, it's hard. Yeah. yeah, amazing. I think I would just, I'd want to like, I guess, fault, like ask a follow-up question on that is when you're in that, well, I guess looking at it from both sides, when you're in that situation and you're the leader, the person's going to be making the decision, how do you come to terms with the fact that you might be challenged and making sure the kind of voices of your team are heard, but also if, if you still disagree what you do, but then on the other side, if you're maybe the more junior or less experienced colleague, how to... I think those tips you've given there are really good in terms of making sure you speak up. But if you're really struggling with challenge, like how to, I guess, give yourself that confidence and comfort that it's okay to go against the grain. Look, I think it's practice. So the sooner you start, the better. And there are ways of putting things. So you can say, look, I'm, I probably have a different view or I'm probably looking at this mm. from a very different lens to the rest of you, but the way I see it is slightly differently. Can I just check that I've understood it right? Because this is how I'm thinking about it. Is a really kind of non-conflict, contentious way of putting a different view on, on the table. I think as a, a leader, if it's a particularly tough decision, um, ultimately I'm accountable for it. But what I have learned, I would say maybe a, a few years ago, I was probably wedded to that decision's right, that decision's wrong. <laughs> and these days, you know, what I'm looking for is an opportunity to move us in the right direction, even if it's only a step. So I'm trying to think of an example. So there was a decision that I wanted to make quite recently. And I was a bit of a lone voice. So I said, okay, so why don't we do this? Let's do an experiment. I think we should go this way. You're a bit worried about it and would prefer us to stay here. Let's run an experiment. How long do we think we should run the experiment for? What kind of data should we collect? When should we check in to see? And actually we've, we've been able to move forward. We haven't got to the point where I would ideally like us to get to, but we've moved mm. and everybody's aligned. So that alignment, taking time to make sure that if it's a big decision, and I think it's, I think it's Facebook that talk about, no, it's Amazon that talk about one-way doors and then two-way doors. So if it's a decision that you make, which is a one-day, one-day, one-way door, you can't <laughs> come back from, you should probably take a lot of time. If it's a decision that you can back out of and come back, then you know, just test, mm. just experiment. Yes. That's really good. Cool. Yeah. So we'll wrap up in a minute, but I'm conscious that we kind of at the start of our discussion, you brought up around um, being a leader in tech and how important it is to have diversity in technology. I just wanted to give you the space to kind of talk about why you think that's so important and any examples of where a lack of diversity has hindered us and kind of, I guess, development in the tech world. Mm. If you look at our customer base, it's about 50 50. Actually, it's 51% women and 49% men, which always makes me <laughs> smile. Don't ask me why. <laughs> and I think like any um, product company or consumer-based industry, if, if your team can't understand your customer base and what they want, you're not going to win. Um, so if our technologists aren't full of people that look like our customers, we're not going to be designing products 
that actually meet their needs and, and do what they, they need them to do for their lives. You know, I love technology, but what I like more is creating something that helps human beings, helps our customers. And I genuinely believe that technology can help make our customers' lives easier. But we'll only understand how if, you know, our technology team understand and think like our customers. So they've got to come from all different walks of life. You know, when you've got 24 million customers, they, they do. They come from every single background, every single race, religion, you, you name it. So our teams need to look like that. Otherwise, we won't develop, you know, the mobile app to work mm -hmm. for everybody. Um, and we'll design it for a very small segment of our customers. And that's just a gap that our competitors will jump into and, and do a better job if we don't do that. Yeah. Yeah. You can't just take a man's product and turn it pink and assume women will love it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Very good. That was, yeah, that was really nice to summarize. Um, cool. So at the end of all of our episodes, we have always asked the same questions to all our guests. There's no right or wrong answer at all. That's the beauty of it. Um, so we would really like to ask you, what gives you confidence? And one thing that's popped into my mind. So I remember um, being asked to apply for a role and having that moment where I thought, oh, God, I don't know if I can do it. And then I, I thought, if I don't say yes, then a man will be appointed to this role. And I'm letting down all those women out there if I don't do it. Um, so quite often, you know, when, it, when, when you're thinking about confidence, it's because we're kind of so inward looking. And the minute that you kind of make your thoughts and your purpose all about helping others, I can, I can take on the world. Nice. I love that. I don't think we've ever had their answer before. Really like that. <laughs> I like that a lot. Nice. I find myself wanting to like, thank you for your service. I feel like you're doing it for all of us. And for that, I want to thank you. <laughs> well, hopefully, and thank you. I mean, the pod is just amazing. You're reaching so many people um, and we do all need to help each other. So thank you. Yeah, oh, amazing. Thank you so much for your time. Um, Nikki, Lucy, it's been absolutely delightful. I'm so pleased that you invited me. Real, really an honour for me to be here today. Thank you. What gives you confidence? Let us know on Instagram by searching Her Own Boss Podcast. And don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss the latest on finding your inner entrepreneur. This episode is sponsored both by Rise, created by Barclays, and Barclays Eagle Labs. Rise and Eagle Labs are on a mission to support female founders shape the future of entrepreneurship by providing access to networks, mentorship, and training. Search Rise, created by Barclays, or Barclays Eagle Labs to find out more.